Left. Right. America is broken. How are we going to fix it? This is part two in a series. Today we're talking about welfare. What's wrong with the welfare system? How are we going to fix it? Let me know what you think in the comments. And uh, let me know what you think after listening to this episode of our opinions on the topic. See you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Sounds like we are live. Welcome to Sip Talk, episode 202. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey. Joined, as always, by James, the Bosnator Boswell philosopher, retired professional referee, bartender, most exciting of all, accountant. Tonight, we're joined by Larry Holter, who's got 10 years plus in the real estate business. He owns multiple businesses out of Texas, and he is a Texan living here in, uh, <laughs> in New York City uh, at the current moment. How's it hanging, guys? I feel like we should do an entire episode of What's Wrong with America, semicolon, Texas. <laughs> I feel like we'd never end. Uh, but back to you, Justin. We're doing pretty good. I mean, I'm doing great. I'm sure, well, James. <laughs> yeah, things are good here. Um, I got to ask you guys right off the bat, because this is Sip Talk, and I'm dying for a drink. Uh, James, you're in my uh, top right corner. What are, you, what are you drinking tonight? Bush Ice. Oh, very nice. Got to tighten the belt a little bit, and the mortgage industry is bad enough that like my hours are temporarily cut. So, I'm, uh -oh. if there's a cheaper beer than Bush Ice, let me know. <laughs> uh, natural light, maybe. I think uh, you might yeah, have. Yeah, but like I, I'm thinking of like dollar per ounce of alcohol. Um, and uh, this and Larry, is five point nine, and natural light might be like three point two or something. So you get less less alcohol for the buck. I got you. Larry, can I ask you, what are you drinking? Yeah, so tonight I'm having a, a vodka with actual cranberry juice, not cranberry uh, whatever I had last time. I don't remember. What was no, that? Cranberry, cranberry ginger ale. Ginger ale. There you go. Yes, yes. Yeah, that, was, that was an odd mix. Cranberry um, ginger, ginger ale <laughs> and good. gin is really nice, actually. Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, that's true. So before we get into any more about what we're drinking, or before we actually get into deep into the, the topic here tonight we're talking about welfare so this is our series on how we can fix the united states i think it's really just an hour of us talking about all the problems the united states has hopefully we'll get to some potential solutions um i you know i don't know about you guys i drank a lot last episode i probably drank more than i more than i should have <laughs> how, about, how about you larry actually i had one drink all night but it was enough all right and james you were you were going for a a run afterwards was that the case bike ride you went for uh, a bicycle just got my brand new bike and i wanted to take it out put it put it through its paces and you you've got a uh james got a nice bike uh i've i've given up bicycling for the time being i got i'd love to get back into it james you want to well i'm pouring my drink here you want to tell us real quick about your bicycle real quick i want to hit the comments we got jorge joining us with the corona right now got to say hi to debbie ferry and lisa's joining us i'm one of our loyals 
All right, that's 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 good. So uh, I'm excellent. I'm glad to see uh, I'm glad to see you guys live. I haven't seen a couple of you guys in a little while, so I'm glad you could join us tonight. We're, again, we're talking about welfare, so I would love input from you guys on how to fix welfare, what's broken with welfare, or maybe you don't think it's broken. I'd, I'd love that opinion too. James, real quick, just tell us the high points in this bicycle because Larry, this is an impressive, a Let's very see. impressive bicycle. Uh, custom order. It's it's painted in like the Gulf Library colors. If you think of the uh, like the '70s racing cars of the blue and orange, um, it says "Get off my lawn" on it. It's fully electronic <laughs> shifting with disc brakes, all carbon fiber. It's really fun. Disc. I mean, disc brakes apparently they they've been around for a while on bicycles. I didn't know that. That blew my mind. And then it's got electronic shifting, which is not, you know. Yeah, so no cables are driving like the front and rear derailleurs. I just press a button on on the shifters and a motor shift. So like no more miss shifts, no more like half shifts or anything like that. It's yeah. basically every time it works exactly the way it's supposed to. And, and you know what? And this sounds like why we're drinking that light beer right there. I mean, how was that? Was that on the higher end? Uh, the the bike. Yeah, the bike. Yeah. It, it's near the top end of what you can buy. You've been there you've you been go. saving your SSI checks to uh, to buy this bike, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All the uh, the the Medicare business that I've been running out of the back has been paying for it, really. <laughs> uh, now this this bike costs as much as a, a, a small uh, new car. Uh, <laughs> Maybe no, not a new. But car. But you could get a pretty good used car for the price of this bike. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's it's pretty impressive. So look, I want to talk about welfare. Um, I. So I did a little research on welfare. We got to get into it. Sorry. Sorry to uh, pivot there. Um, but it's my well, for the next podcast, I'll put the bike in the background. Love yeah. it. Very nice. <laughs> so uh, so it's my understanding there's there's kind of four basic types of welfare. I'm, I don't know much about welfare, so I'm really, I'm really new to this game. Just started doing some research to really get a good understanding of all right, so what are the four types? What it is. Uh, but you've got income assistance, you've got housing, you've got medical, and then you have food. Okay. Am I missing anything, or does that sound like it sums it sums it up? Mm, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, right. Because the research that I was doing was I did a lot of research on fraud incidents in the various programs, and I wanted to come, and I wanted to see like which programs are more prone to fraud. And then I also compared the fraud incidents of those programs against the fraud incidents of the PPP program. Okay. Um, um, cause I so want, cause a lot of, a lot of the criticisms of welfare programs are that they're wasteful or inefficient or that people are taking advantage of them. And I wanted to see how the numbers actually stacked up. So where, where should we start? Cause I have a, I have a question, uh, but I'm curious if you guys have a, a starting point on this. Um, I want to start off by saying, like, I think the general question of why should we have welfare? We need sure. to address oh, that. Okay. Before we talk about any of the programs, we need to say, why yeah. should we have these in the first place? So, so that was that's in line with my question where I thought we would start is how do you qualify and why would you qualify for welfare? Well, so. let's get there. But first, you need to say why should we even have these in the first place? Okay, and why why should we have why should we be giving free money to people who uh, who aren't earning it? 
Okay, so first things first is, you know, the system hasn't been around, or at least this system has not been around to Americans since the beginning. This is something that was, you know, established in 1935 by President Roosevelt. And it You're talking about Social off, Security? Social Security. And it first started off as a Social Security uh, assistance program that later grew into the other programs. Now, it's grown over time, and the participants have definitely grown. I think that when it first started, what was it like? There were just a few people. Um, I didn't actually write that statistic down, but I know that I should have. Um, but now I, I want to say it was about 12 million people that were in that program when it first started. And well, now we're upwards of about 59. Well, like, so, first of all, why was Social Security created like let's thought like let before we talk about the details let's ask why okay like, why why did we create social security why did we create medicare why did we have why did we put it on the government to provide social welfare programs to certain people why so would that, we do that so that's a good question um you know and from what i've read and and doing my research it was started because of a minimum wage problem unemployment an unemployment problem. Uh, you know, there were a lot of individuals that were going through unemployment issues and they needed the assistance, which of course the program hasn't changed much. Now it's gotten even larger, but the lot of it is poverty lined where we're at now. So would, would this have been uh, shortly after the Great Depression? The Great Depression was the kind of impetus for this. Other other countries had probably done social welfare before this, but in our country, it was the Great Depression that really pushed us towards having like socialized public welfare programs. And the reason for it was it was a really bad look to have hundreds of thousands or millions of people unable to feed themselves, unable to house themselves. And the the progressives saw this as a failure of government as much as it was a failure of other, of of personal nature. And they said, we should have a system where the government will help people who have fallen on hard times so that when they're able to turn themselves around, like, they didn't die be before they had the opportunity to because they couldn't afford food or they couldn't afford a house or something like that. Or like, or they, they couldn't afford to the, the absolute basics. And so well, they said yeah, it's yeah. government's job to step in when, when people do not have the means to be able to help themselves. Well, yeah. I mean, I, and you know, if you're a country, uh, a, you know, a, a powerhouse of a country and you're going to say, Hey, you know, we're one of the top producing countries. We're one of the world powers. But then you have so many of in your population that are starving and are sick and are unable to feed themselves. That's not a good look. So, um, you know, I, I think for that, from that perspective alone, you know, if you have in India, you know, where you have people who are starving on the streets and, and dying on the streets, but India is not walking around saying we're one of the world powers. So, you know, I think from the government perspective, taking care of the people, irregardless of the cause. Yeah, and personal responsibility. I think there, there's also kind of a recognition that there that in any system, there's going to be some amount of people that are never going to be able to take care of themselves. And you can think about people that, that like mental handicaps or like kind of crushing physical handicaps where it's 
utterly unrealistic to expect them to be able to take care of themselves like be and be completely self-sufficient. And so their government programs designed to help those people in particular because otherwise they would just like they would die because they, they just can't take care of themselves no matter how motivated they may be to do so. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, James. And I actually have experience with that in some one of my family members who actually two of my family members uh, that receive that type of assistance. And so the, the question, I think when, when you get to the political aspect of this, like you're going to have some probably on the extreme right, you're going to have people that say we shouldn't have any social programs whatsoever. People should be able, people can, will, will sink or swim on their own merits. And for the people that are truly disadvantaged, like, like mentally handicapped or physically handicapped, that's why there are private charities. And it's, we will let the private market fix this and private charities, such as perhaps churches will be able to step in and meet the demand of the people that can't help themselves. And it's not government's business to weigh in. I don't think that that is a, an opinion that is popular enough to really consider and rebut. I think no, that, but that's, the ex, that's the extreme end. Right. The, the extreme and so end I think, perspective. I think when you come to the political discussion, I think, most people in this country, probably the vast majority, agree that the government should be doing something. And where the argument lies is how much should they be doing? How do you qualify? And who gets these benefits? And that's where all the fighting is, is how are these programs actually administered? We don't have much of an issue with the program's existence, but okay, so we might have an issue with how the program is administered. So then who's who's getting the assistance? Because, you know, one of the videos I watched, they said somebody who's fit of working age, who's an adult, doesn't have any children, doesn't have any health issues. Uh, they're kind of shit out of luck when it comes to, to getting some type of public assistance. Well, for for somebody like any of the three of us, chances are pretty good that none of us would qualify for any of these things because... If you don't qualify on a health basis, there are some programs that you qualify on an age basis, as me such as Medicare and Social Security, but the others are going to be income-based. And there's a couple different income qualifications depending on what program you're looking at. But basically, to qualify for the, the income ones, you've got to be within a certain range of the poverty line or below and have a certain amount of assets or below, or you don't qualify. Well, you know, I, speaking of Medicare, uh, I I did not realize this until my research today is that Medicare and Medicaid are different and that Medicare is primarily for people that are over 65, whereas Medicaid is for low income people. That's true. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that. I figured I would share it because, you know, the two words I've used interchangeably, I just realized that they're. No, they're completely separate <laughs> programs. Correct. And. One of the things that really grinds me is when you have old people talking about how voting against any kind of socialized medicine in this country, and then you ask them, well, do you use Medicare? And they say, yeah, of course. Like, it's the cheapest insurance. It's got the best benefits for me. Be like, who's paying for that? 
So they don't seem to realize that they're the ones benefiting from socialized medicine. They're just shutting the door on people that are below the age. Okay, so so I so, think that's that's just my my personal rant on old people voting against socialized medicine. So look, okay. I, I, and just to ahead. clarify, Medicare is a federal program, and Medicaid is a state program. Yes, but the federal government kicks in money towards the states to support the Medicaid Correct. program. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the case with many state programs, though. Yeah, um, but it's not like it's. Medicaid is paid 100% by the states. All right. Yeah. So I, I still feel like we're struggling to take direction in this conversation. And I don't No, we, I don't no, really, we're, we're First, we have to establish why were these programs created? What was their goal? Then you have to say, okay, what were some of the objections? And so I talked about the extreme right and just saying like, here's the objections from like the libertarian or anarcho-capitalist people and why we're not really going to talk about those because they're not popular enough opinions to really well, to really I, sway I, public policy. Can we can we talk about the opposite end of that spectrum? Yes, the, we can. The very the very liberal end where you know liberal typically would mean like, you know, civil civil liberties and things like that, but more and more it's meaning just kind of the freedom to spend every working people's money on those who don't have any money. Well, and, I would say and this basically, the end of the liberal side would be something resembling okay. communism. Yeah, which which isn't, but I, and that's where I think we've kind of shifted with being liberal. Like liberal typically meant civil liberties, and now it means socialism, right? And and mm. I well, that, that is socialism, right? Liberalism, like I'm, you have to look at the left versus the right. They're, like to try and break it down as much as possible, like. At the extreme ends of the left and the right, you'll have on the right basically wanting no government whatsoever. And on the left would be total government control of everything. If you, uh, if, uh, if you have to boil it down. I think, no, but I, I don't know. I necessarily agree with that, though. I feel like on the right, they're very constitutional not quite anti-government. I think that might have been the... No, what I'm, I'm not talking definition. about... I'm talking about the absolute extremes of both political... of both political... of the political spectrum. I'm not talking about... like On a 1 to 100 scale, I'm talking about 0 and 100, not 75 and 25. So there's no, no gray line here. It's either this or it's that, an anarchist uh, or... Yeah, okay, I'm talking so about if you go to zero or 100, you're going to end up with someone who's like 100% communist. The government is in control of literally every aspect of your life. And on the ex extreme far right, it would be there is no government. Okay, so now, on the extreme liberal end, what, how, how does that play out when it comes to Medicare? Because you just said when it, you know on the right on the right side, it means the government's not giving anything. If they die, they die. If they're sick, they're sick. Private companies can step in, but that's not something we're going to enforce with government. So on what's the what's the liberal left side? You would have the government, like the government, would be providing everything to you based on what the government decides you need, and your job will be determined by the government. Your pay will be determined by the government. Your benefits, you all the things that you want to do in life, <clears throat> government will be deciding what you get. Well, okay, so let's let's take a step in let's take a step in the in the direction of housing then because I feel like when it comes to public housing 
that's something that, you know, I've been in New York State, New York City specific real estate for a long time now. And I'm seeing the laws that are coming through where the government is very much hands on with the real estate market. Lots of public housing in New York City, lots of low income housing in New York City and lots of laws that supplement housing. So, you know, and, and it doesn't look good. You look at pure public housing, which we call the projects, although, you know, I even I'm, I'm careful in using the word projects even in, you know, in the office because it has a bad connotation. Um, but the projects implies uh, subpar housing, which is usually, you know, uh, very crime ridden, full of mold, uh, leaking water. Uh, it's it's uh, you know public housing is not good in New York City, you know nobody nobody says you know that would be a good place for me. I want to live in the projects. You know that's not an ideal, but that is pure government run housing. Am I am I wrong on this? Um, depends on what is it one hundred percent government owned or is it private but subsidized by the government in some well, way I'm, I'm talking about the projects which is which is NYCHA, which is which is new york state uh housing authority right so That's i don't i don't know much about this topic so i'm asking a genuine question here which is i that think land new state, and i that think building state, and everything else who owns that is it I the state new york that owns state, that yes i believe new york state owns and manages it versus okay. when a developer builds a building and to get whatever tax breaks uh, or even to to get uh, like permits to build the building, they have to have thirty percent or twenty percent of the building that is uh, low income housing or median income housing. Right. So yeah, that all right. So I wanted to clarify: is this one hundred percent government owned? And you're saying it is, as to my knowledge. You know, I don't, okay. You know, again, we, I make a lot of corrections after these podcasts, but as far as I'm concerned, but it's. But it's not good, and and you know I'm I was trying to figure out why it why housing sucks so much when it comes from the government, and you know I I know many people. I mean I've shown apartments for over a decade. You walk by the projects, and you have a you have a a client who's paying you know who's earning money and is paying rent. They get physically uncomfortable. I I can't rent apartments near the projects unless you know unless we we walk to the building from a different location well you know? so my my answer as to why is public housing bad in new york city would be it probably isn't funded well i mean it's, it's from new york state so. right and what i'm saying is that the state is not giving it enough funding for it to be good but and, and I think that what makes up these type of, you know, buildings and, and developments is very basic, minimal developments itself. You've got your four walls, you've got a roof, you've got a floor, you've got a basic stove, basic little refrigerator, nothing, you know, nothing there is meant for you to fall in love with it. And it, unfortunately, the individuals that move in there really do need that assistance, you know, and that's all that they can qualify for. But the government isn't going to go in there and say, hey, let me tile up this place and let me put these beautiful backsplashes. Well, and all they, the things that we typically are used to seeing. They have to pass approval, right? So there's an inspector that I goes mean, in. Are they going to pass approval through the, through the state, right? You're talking about the state passing approval through the state. 
Don't you think yeah. that would be a lot easier than me as an independent contractor trying to get permits to build a, a condo unit and the state's going to go in there and say, oh, the electrical and the, well, and the, you know, the, the, uh, this is not approved. I think, I, think I, I, I would bet you, well, one, those buildings usually start out, I imagine, new construction. It's probably okay. Now, it probably costs the, the government who's footing the bill way too much money just like anything else the government does. The government wants to build a highway or a bridge and it's gonna cost 5 million. They're gonna do it in two years. Six years later, it costs you know 14 million or you know whatever the case may be. I imagine public housing building it is just like that. My, my thinking though, is that it's given for the most part for uh, very low rent. A lot of these people do have to pay rent, but once you're in, you're in. So if you, if you get a job from then you start making money, the, the law, you can't be evicted, right? They can raise your rent a little bit, but the laws, you know, if you moved in, it was 800 bucks and you've been there for 30 years, it's probably $1,126, right? And and even right. though it's a three-bedroom yeah. apartment and the three-bedroom apartments down the block are going for $7,000, you are paying $1,126. Now you may be making Correct. more money, but you're not getting evicted. So getting in is very difficult. There's very low supply. Once you're in, you're in. That's one so, of the issues with housing. And I don't know how I, I don't know how I feel about evicting people once they get a job and start making money. I don't think that's the, the right thing to do. But how is it not the right on, thing, wait, though? Wait. This program was not meant to be perpetual. It was not meant to last forever. You get the oh. assistance when you need it and then you get out when you don't need it and give that opportunity to somebody that oh. really needs it. Okay, so how would you not feel comfortable? So that person gets a job, right? Maybe they weren't working or maybe they were earning minimum wage when they moved in. Then they get a job, okay. so they move, right. so they move out, and then they lose their job, and then it's going to take them four years to find another apartment. Okay, so let right. me ask, let me point out two. So things. you want to do this a trial? This isn't a trial and error. Well, that's so the issue with a lot of, and I I want to stand housing, but the issue with a lot of these programs, and I think you guys will agree, and, and Larry, maybe you know a little later we can talk about some of our our background, but um, when you start making money you start losing some of these programs. So there are some people who won't take the raise or won't put in the extra hours because that's going to tip them over the scale and they may lose it. Uh, you know, somebody taking a and new job, somebody taking a new job, which is tentative. And in New York state, you can lose your job in the first 90 days and the employer doesn't have to give you a reason, but then getting back on the programs is very difficult. James, I want to point out one thing that doesn't make sense to me in, in what you've said about public housing, because in one sentence you say these places are crappy to live in, in crappy neighborhoods and poorly maintained. But in another sense, I didn't say crappy about, neighborhoods. I didn't say crappy neighbors, but go ahead. Okay. I'll, I'll take back the crappy neighborhoods, but these places are crappy to live in and, and crappy and, and crappily maintained. So you say that, but it, and then in another sentence, you say there, the demand for these places is very high and the supply is low. So people that get public housing will not give it up. So which is it? Does it suck or is it something that once you get, you never want to lose? Well, so that's, that's the thing about it. It does suck, but once you get it, you don't want to lose it. So it's actually both. Why? You, I, I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, Hang on, hang on. The, look, because these two things don't square in my mind. Okay, so look, here's the issue. Uh, I, 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 you know, you said let's go 10, 15 years from now. Uh, Larry, you have kids? I do. Larry, you, 
Sure. Okay. So uh, I've got a 20 year old son and I've oh. got a 17 year old daughter. Yeah. All right. So I want to 17. You said 17. Yeah. My daughter's 17. Yeah. She'll be 18 okay, next so, month. Yes. Perfect. So, so you, you may get this. It's an, it's a, it's a thought, but uh, bear with me here. So you, you got a 16 year old kid just turned 16, just got their permit. You buy them a brand new car. Now it's not a great car. Let's say it's a, 2023 Toyota. Uh, what's a what's a low end Toyota? Corolla. Corolla. Okay. You you, Corolla, you buy your kid, which I okay. just bought my daughter. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Beautiful. Perfect. All right. Actually, this may really ring. Okay. So you buy her this. You now now she doesn't have a job yet because she can't get to and from her job. Obviously. So you know how's she going to uh, have a job? So now she's got the car. All right. Now you buy her the car. You pay cash for the car, okay? But you're not paying her insurance, all right? You're not giving her money for gas, and you're not going to help her maintain the car, okay? Now, how is she, how's she going to get this job? How, she she can't afford gas to and from the job, right? Right? So so maybe her, her, you know, if she does get the job, her paycheck's not coming until two or three weeks in. At that point, she's already lost the job, right? Because she can't afford to get to and from the I think this oh, is a pretty poor uh, analogy. Hear me out. Hear me out. But you got her a brand uh, new I car. I see where you're going. Okay. Yeah. Six months later, what's that car doing? Sitting in the driveway. All right. Sitting in the driveway. Now, mm-hmm. now you are power to get a job, but she can only get a job where she's working uh, uh, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay. How's that going to work? Is she, is she go to school? Does she go to school? Does my daughter go to school? Yeah, she's she's graduating okay. in December early. Okay. Yeah. Could, could she take a job right now, nine to four p.m.? She worked at my business, but you know, I mean, yeah, she okay, could take so a job father, if she wants one. Her father didn't own a business, and she went to school. Right, so she can't time. get she can't get a job because she's in school. Keep going. Okay, so it's a year yeah, later. Yeah, we get this. It's a year later. It's yeah. a year later. All right. She, how's that car look? It, I don't it, know. I mean, pro, pro, well, she can't work. She can't maintain it. She can't pay for gas. She's she's got an asset which was given to her. How do I, I reject some of the, the, the premises in this argument? Okay, fine. But how do yeah, people yeah, yeah. how do people treat things that were that were given to them as well as they had earned them? So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take myself out of the concept because everything that you've said, I actually do. I pay for. The insurance, the gas, okay. I sell her, you know, okay. whatever. Hear me out. So Hear now me. I, have think, I have to think wait, wait. like let me the other and demographic let me, that you're okay. trying to say. But, let me but the analogy that you're doing. Yeah, the thing Absolutely is, your brushstrokes are wrong because if you okay. get a free car, you're gonna like nobody has zero dollars, so you're right. gonna be, you're gonna have enough Man, money let me, to, for let that me first tank picture. of gas to get to work. Now let me let me paint my picture. All right, you're you're 16 years old. Yeah. You're given a car. You're stipulated that you can't work. You don't have any money, okay? And you 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 can't get a job because the the hours that are offered to you just don't work with your life, right? You either quit high school and take the job. Or you go to high school and can't work the hours. Nobody's paying for your gas. Nobody's paying for the insurance. So you can't drive it anyways. And you don't have the money to pay the sales tax to register the car. So my question to you is how does that car look six months later, a year later, 18 months later? Fuck that car. Okay. So you get an apartment where you can't furnish it very well. Okay. And even though it was given to you and you weren't given any furniture and you're bringing in furniture you, you can barely pay for the electricity. You can't pay for cable because you, you barely have a job, right? 
and maybe you got to take care of somebody who lives in the home you're you're because whatever their health issues are how's that apartment going to look even though it might have been nice fresh paint new appliances how's that apartment going to look when you can't afford to furnish the apartment very well even though it was given to you fuck that apartment all right and, so your there's, analogy there's, was terrible there's but... a level of resentment there's a level of resentment i would think that that would go towards the apartment itself because it was given to you but it wasn't given to you with the supporting measures and make basically making uh -huh. it impossible for you to treat that apartment or treat that vehicle the way that you'd like to. That's, well, that's, listen, that's, I think that when you're in a position to be, I gotcha. I think that when you're in a position to, that you need the assistance, you shouldn't be asking or looking for anything much more better than that roof over your head. If that's what it is that you need at that moment in time. I also don't think that this program should have a never ending stipulation and i know what you're where you're getting at i have a lot of friends up on on some of the northern parts of new york that have been in those apartments for years 30 years and it started with mom who first came in and then the daughters and you know what as long as the family is still within the family we get to keep that apartment for one thousand dollars you know so they're not complaining you've got families and families living in those three bedroom four bedroom apartments you know and nobody's complaining about paying a thousand dollars while the rest of the yeah what i was going to say is they may be rent they might have lower rent or low income housing where they're locked into but they're making the best and i i have right. friends i know a lot of people that live in low income or they've gotten rent stabilized apartments they take very good care of but you know but when we're care. talking yeah, about yeah. the project yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you're living for free what i'm saying is you may not you may not take as great of care and there might be a level of resentment because you know actually i i took notes on this when i was thinking about this idea about something being given to you and not caring for it was the reciprocity principle right if i do something for you if i take you out mm -hmm. to lunch you then feel indebted to me and i could be wrong on this but when things are given to you from the government so if i take you out to lunch you're gonna be like oh you know i gotta do something for justin i'm gonna uh, you know, bring him uh, a bottle of wine or a case of beer or something like that. He took me out to lunch. You, there's a level of indebtedness. Now, I could be off on this, mm -hmm. but my thinking is when things are given to you from the government, there's no, there's no conceivable way for you to, uh, for you to do anything or give anything back. It's just, it's all take, and well, there's very little op opportunity to give outside of taxpayer dollars. But that 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 is the mechanism. But I, I think that that, that is the mechanism. Like they're, they're, like that's why you pay taxes is to support programs. And like if you're receiving benefits from one government program or another, then you can look at it as your reciprocal part is that you pay your taxes. Well, let me ask you a question: If you think you have a housing project where there where there's a community garden, do you think those people who participate in the community garden are going to treat their apartments more nicely? than the people who, um, you know, don't participate in the community garden? Well, this is a rhetorical question. Do people care about the community that they live in take better care of their community? Um, right. That's just my, my complaints about housing. And, and, and yeah, not being, not being forced to move out of the housing, right? It's not like a lot of the other programs like Medicaid or uh, so SSI, I thought, stood for social security income it stands for supplemental security income 
but people who get SSI, it, after they earn a certain amount, they they don't get as much money. Is that accurate? Yeah. Uh, so hold on. I, I want to talk about this because since we're talking about housing ex- assistance, so I've got a welfare fraud and improper payments table, which gives like the amount in spending and the amount of improper payments in like a percentage. So guess what the fraud incidence rate is in housing assistance programs in a percentage? Oh, 12? Larry, any guess? I was going to say 10. Okay. Zero. Uh, How does that work? Well, according to this table, like, so for for comparison, Medicaid has an incident rate of 21.7% of fraud and improper payments. So housing assistance has a 0% fraud rate. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's difficult, I would think, to commit any type of fraud if you're going to need to live in a place. I think that you've got it. Obviously, in everything, you should be showing your income. But if that's all that you can afford, you're going to go in, you're going to live in it. You're not going to take advantage of it, except for the individuals that you have moving in there and staying in there with you. Maybe you rent it out to them. Who knows? The bigger fraud is going to come from SNAP, food stamps, people claiming uh, food stamp fraud. I think that's the largest one. Nope. More so than You know what SNAP's incidence rate is? What is it? So SNAP, 7.4%. Wow. I want to I wanna address what a quick side, comment. What site is this? Yeah, I'll share yeah. all my links. Yeah, share the link. Uh, I got a comment on um, TikTok here that says, Zoopy 10. Justin, have you always been this conservative? <laughs> and the thing is, I like, oh, I don't, I don't feel that conservative, uh, you know, except I'm, I'm definitely pushing back. I think I'm just getting upset with the, the far left liberals, which are the vast majority and the loudest of the, of the liberals. I think I'm getting really upset with that. I mean, I'm just talking about housing. I think, uh, you know, I, to get back to housing real quick and defend my my liberal roots, I think there's a, a really good place for low-income housing and subsidized housing. The issue is the issue is it just sucks so much. We have so many clients who come to us with housing programs and vouchers, and it's so difficult to find them apartments. And landlords who own properties have so many horror stories from people who came in with, and I have family that does only uh, Section 8 housing. So I'm very, I'm personally very familiar with it, but I also belong to a lot of landlord groups and they have many issues. There's a lot of horror stories that go along with the Section 8 and the vouchers and the programs. So I see that perspective. I see that side of it, but that's the vast majority of it isn't all negative. It isn't people taking advantage of the system. It isn't people trashing the apartments, but it still is a very difficult thing for people to do. And, you know, getting approved with a housing voucher or, you know, or, or on some program is almost impossible at this point. You know, I think I, I tell people we've taken between 50 and 60 applications this year for people who have, have, have housing programs and we've closed maybe four. And that's more than anybody else I know. So, but closing four deals out of 50 applications is is a very, very low rate. And we try very hard for these people. It's it's just a lot of landlords don't want them. They're, 
the programs themselves are basically impossible. They ask the land before they want to do anything on their end. They ask the landlord to just send them the lease, but the landlord doesn't even have any information on that person or the program or whether they're even qualified. And, you know, we kind of hit this, uh, this impasse where the program wants to lease and the landlord wants information about the program and the tenant before they send the lease. And so this sounds ends. less a problem that you have with the programs themselves than with the red tape and inefficiencies in administration where the, the program could be better run and if it were better run then it would be more successful and me as i guess the the, the liberal on on this cast is going to say we need to be putting more money towards it because if we put more money towards these programs then they will be better run you ha increase oversight increase funding and increase expectations of the people that are running the programs. And and they, the, these things don't have to be terrible. The reason why they're terrible is because we're not like we're not funding them. But I think we're spending too much money on a lot of these programs and it's being poorly allocated. If there's no way that we're spending too much money if you're getting these poor results. Well, I mean, a lot of these programs spend a, a, an awful lot of money, in my opinion. They just they just upped the payment standards for the housing vouchers, and it hasn't made it any easier for people to find apartments. Um, all right, and we have a comment on YouTube from Sasha saying, the people in project buildings here in New York City are usually very ghetto and not pleasant to live around. And, I mean, that's a... Uh, that's I don't know what would you call it very kind of discriminatory comment, but that's how most people I find feel when I say projects. People are like, oh, you know, well, I don't, I don't even say projects because it's it's just got a bad connotation. And when I bring clients, yesterday I showed a beautiful doorman building, but it was it had a view of the projects, and I walked inside and my my client didn't like it. And I, you know, we're looking at there are these giant windows that were uh, eight feet wide and, and probably six feet tall in the living room and the bedroom. And it just looked onto the projects. And, uh, you know, this particular projects were under construction and it looked like a crime scene. It just looked it looked bad. It just it, and I'm sure that it's been under, under construction for the last three years. You know, and it will probably continue to have all this construction material up for the next two years. So it was just it was just bad all, all the way around. Uh, so I would say, why not increase oversight and look for look for waste? And like I, I think, if you haven't worked in government or known someone who works in government, pretty much everybody. I, I've never worked directly in government myself, but I've talked with lots of people who have, and anybody who works in government can tell you about the person in their office that's been there for 30 or 35 years and doesn't do anything. Well, look, we have a uh, border czar who hadn't been to the border as of our last conversation. Uh, what about a housing czar who, who handles this stuff? Who doesn't live in a house. But no, but who goes and visits. I remember there was somebody who uh, went to stay at some NYSHA apartment and literally was like, yeah, I can't do this. I'm out. It was, it was not the governor, but it was somebody on on whatever you know that they had appointed to whatever position 
Uh, and this was probably six to eight years ago. Right. So that's uh, when you bring in the head of the administration and you say, what the hell are you doing? And well, I thought that's what was going to happen. And then literally nothing changed. Right. So, so, so you, there you we need to have accountability for these things. And if we're not going to hold people accountable, then yeah, you're going to get shit results. That, 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 this is obvious, people. Um, so I got a comment here on TikTok that says we have a serious lack of affordability in housing. No, that's, this is uh, not the comment I was looking for. Uh, I would say there is more fraud in disability. I know a ton of white middle class people taking advantage. Is so disability something disability is not about? really a government program so much. The the only like there's Social Security survivors and disability benefits, but I don't have stats on that. But most disability is going to be handled through like private insurance claims. And I don't have the yeah, stats well, on that because I didn't also research under it. the umbrella. Go ahead, Larry. Disability is also the umbrella of the SSI. Okay, so I do have stats on SSI. So the SSI improper payment incidence rate is 10%. Mm. Yeah. So if I if I just so, run down you know, these numbers. Go ahead, Larry. Larry, I think you got a yeah. slight lag. So when you got to say something, just just go with it because I feel like we keep cutting you off. I'm I'm really curious what what you're about to say. No, well, basically what I was going to say is earlier I had mentioned, you know, that I've got two family members that are on SSI um, and they're both, you know, mentally impaired in terms of learning disability and then just even daily social living skills, you name it. Both of them are, one is my half brother, one is my half sister, um, you know, so they receive these monthly dividends. They're not supposed to be working because obviously they can't make those proper decisions on what to do. But a lot of that goes towards a lot of drinking. Uh, a lot of that money goes towards, you know, somebody is supposed to be in charge of their income. I, one of my brothers asked me, you know, or my brother asked me, hey, you know, I'm going to put you in charge of taking care of my monthly stipend. I said, absolutely not. I want nothing to do with that stipend. I want nothing to do with your daily living choices. That's all on you, buddy. So, you know, uh, and I, and I don't have a problem saying I was a foster kid, so I'm not exactly entirely close to my family whatsoever, which is another reason that I just don't want to have anything to do with any of that stuff. But I do realize that there is fraud in it because sometimes well, you've got people that pass away and those checks keep coming in. Nobody reports the passing. Those checks just get deposited and if mothers or whatever, go and pull out that money using it. And so whoever... So that disability, you know, uh, uh, fraud does it. Right. And it does. According to my numbers at about a 10% rate. Um, Is in the school district. Yeah. Okay. What about the school district? Larry, you get, you get a little lag. Your, your reception went down quite a bit. Did you, you turn on, change something with your Wi-Fi? start downloading something i don't i don't know what happened on your end this is the internet age where we're, we're all on zoom and uh somehow you just flipped back I think, to um, 1998 there i'm lagging right yeah a little bit but actually you look you look good now <laughs> Rosh says, why is it every time i've got something to say <laughs> i was gonna say why is it every time i've got something to say i lag <laughs> I don't know. Um, all right. Well, when it comes to, I want to, I want to touch on something that you you talked about about um, like 
your family members that are getting these SSI payments and how they're putting it towards alcohol, right? Right. So my view on that is who cares? Like if, if you're receiving these benefits and you qualify for the program and that's what you choose to put the money towards, that's not a flaw in the program. The program is giving you this money just because you choose to spend it poorly does not mean that the program is wrong. And if you have, if you have someone that's disabled, like if you're not disabled to the point where you need to basically have a guardian where someone has power, power of attorney over pretty much everything you do, well, then the question would be, should you even qualify this for this program? Or we don't care what you do with the money. You get to make the decisions with your money. And if you choose to spend that money on alcohol, so be it. But if you have someone that has someone that's a, that has a power of attorney over you and you're still spending money on the, on the alcohol, then you need to look at the person who has the power of attorney and say, hey, you should be doing a better job taking care of this person because it's your legal responsibility to do so. Um, look, so I don't think necessarily we've currently identified anything that needs severe fixing well, with with welfare what the whole program you know, I, needs severe fixing i i said housing i said housing but james you know didn't didn't really seem to think there was much of a fix to it no i'm i'm not saying that the the programs don't need to be fixed i'm saying that your proposed solutions of funding them less are going to lead to worse results well no i i think you, we need somebody who is very hands-on looking at, you know, how do we, what needs to be fixed with these buildings? We're being like spammed really hard right now, I feel like on uh, on YouTube. But I think we need to, you know, we send somebody down there to like spend the night or spend the week or spend the month or just live there for good. Right? And say, hey, you get to live for free, but you get to live here. Uh, make it into what you want it to be. And while you're doing so, make that across the platform. You live in this public housing complex, uh, you know, the public housing complex, 10 blocks uh, up, 40 blocks north, 60 blocks south. We, we're going to do the same across the board. But All right. So, Juan, I, I think we've different. identified. So what you're saying is that, the, like, with, with housing, for example, that it's poorly administered and the people that are in charge don't seem to care. So the first solution is you need to have government accountability. You need to have a governor, whoever oversees that agency, be held accountable and say, your agency should be doing this. You suck at this. We're going to find somebody new. You're out of a job. And keep on repeating that process until you find somebody that does a good job. Well, and how, how does that happen? Because you know the, the, the taxpayers and the voters, or the voters who are taxpayers, don't seem that concerned with this. And probably because they don't see it. Right. But so how do we, you're how do asking we... for the solutions. I'm, I'm telling you that if you're running well, we New York State government or, New, or you're the New York City mayor, whoever is in charge of this agency, you, you bring that person in and say, you've got six months to, to, to make meaningful progress in these areas. And if you don't, you're fired. And when it comes to like, so you have to look at fraud in terms of like, in this in welfare fraud and improper payments table. You have to look at it in terms of, is it abuse of the system? So people like that are getting like SSI survivors benefits and like, or 
like the person who's getting the benefits dies and the people don't notify the government that like they should stop receiving the payments like so that's going to be abuse but then and then you've got fraud so you could have like and you see this mostly in the medical area for medicare and medicaid with with providers creating fake invoices for fake patients to get payments on on various programs and then you've just got waste where the the programs are just not well administered and so what i would say the the solution to kind of all three of those is you establish a whistleblower program where if you're aware of something that's going on so let's say we'll, we'll stick with the medical air uh, the medical area so let's say you work in a medical office and you're the person doing the billing and the doctor whoever owns this medical office you know is improperly billing medicare or medicaid and let's say it's a million dollars a year like you have a whistleblower rewards program where you say if you blow the whistle on this and we successfully prosecute this case and like we recover let's say we recover that million dollars a certain percentage goes to the whistleblower i don't know 10% 20% you pick a number and you say if you blow the whistle and we recover money as a result of a fraud investigation, we will pay you a reward. And you could have that also in the government where you could have people that are, if you know that there are government employees that are ignoring fraud and abuse, if you blow the whistle on them, same thing. Money that's recovered, you get a percentage. Incentivize the right actions. And there's no simpler incentive than monetary reward. Well, how do we how do we make that happen? That's I just told really you. Texas. Well, with, with abortion. <laughs> Rosh says people will whistleblow abusively, and a lot of offices will get raided for nothing. Well, the thing is, you're not going to have an incentive to blow the whistle if you don't think that you have a reasonable chance of success. Well, I don't know about that, but I'm curious where Larry was going with. Uh, that already happens a lot in Texas. We gotta give him a second here to uh, to catch up. And I'm looking at this table to look. Yeah, so we're playing, and defendants have actually been arrested. Oh, sounds like we're back to the bad audio quality here on uh, on Larry's. And he's, I assume he's talking. I can see him moving, but I can't hear the audio. So that's that is not good. Uh, Larry's back on that that dial up connection here. Um, sorry, Larry. We we can't hear you, man. We cannot hear you. Uh, damn, we were doing really good before. Okay, now you're green again, Larry. Still not getting audio, though. Still not getting audio. Um, mm. Well, so I'm looking at like the, the, the USDA SNAP page where they talk about the things that they do to combat fraud. Okay. And so there's a couple things. One is like they, they audit the people that are re- receiving the benefits and they, they've like... The, the second is they pursue retailer, retailer and recipient fraud. Let me just move this over so it's easier for me to read. Um, and like, 
so combating misuse of benefits. So they're going to be like monitoring store and doing sting operations, strengthening the rules and sanctions um, related to retailers. So like higher penalties for retailers that are found to be breaking the rules, permanently disqualifying stores for tractioning, uh, for trafficking and sanctioning the, the stores that, that have violations, um, keeping the retailers that are, that are problematic from coming back. Because like the biggest thing that you're going to see, the biggest fraud in, in SNAP is usually going to be like some kind of cash for benefits thing where they'll, the, the store will give you cash if you or like you say like you buy, let's say you want to buy alcohol, but you can't buy alcohol with SNAP. So what you do is you buy a couple gallons of milk on the SNAP card and then you, you return those gallons of milk to the store. And maybe you get 75% of what the milk was. So let's say you bought 20 bucks of milk and you return and you use the, the snap benefits to pay for that milk. Then you return that milk to the store, get 15 bucks back in cash and then spend that 15 bucks to buy a 12 pack. Mm, gotcha. Uh, uh, Larry, you, uh, you want to, well, you're clear right now. You want to follow up with what you were saying a second ago about what's going on in Texas. Oh, we have no audio from you, so that's not good. Well, Larry, just shout something when you, when you when you you clear this audio situation. Um, in the meantime, I want to read comments from Josh Elstein. Uh, this is like unions, tons of people, and no one cares. My friend is a nurse and sees tons of waste and carelessness, waiting to age out and doing terrible work. The issue is them getting in trouble. And laid off at this point, there's no one to take these jobs. Literally the other day, I heard a nurse at a school cursed at a teacher, walked out, and there's no consequences because they can't fill her job. Uh, so even getting the abuse fraudsters uh, is there's more right behind them, just as bad, and they don't have nurses. So, um, Well, the thing about, I, I disagree with the idea that if you catch some fraudsters, other fraudsters will will come to take their place. Well, because... it's part of easy, and but but you know you have to have that pipeline of incoming people, and it sounds yeah. Like but what I'm saying very, is that if you if pipeline. you change the incentives, you'll change behavior. So right now, whatever fraud that exists exists because people have the incentive to commit it. Commit it. If you make the punishments more severe, if you make the oversight higher, then you're going to make the risk of getting caught higher and the punishment is not going is is eventually going to outweigh the benefits that you get and i don't know what that line is but people smarter than me could probably be put to work finding that line and so i do want to talk really quick about so we talk because we it, 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 wait, are we getting audio from Larry now? No, we get nothing. We get okay, nothay. well, then I really, I really want to talk not, about really this because lost in all of this is so, like, all, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'll make this, this seconds. is 30 all seconds, right. um, is we talk about all these programs that are primarily designed for poor people. And we're, we're harping about fraud and abuse and inefficiency for programs that benefit po poor people. However, two years ago when the PPP program was going on and the beneficiaries of the PPP program were primarily business owners who were who are wealthier on average than the people that are getting 
assistance from the programs that we've been talking about tonight, the estimated fraud incidence rate with PPP loans was about 15%. So, and you don't hear people talking too much about the PPP program and its fraud, yet its fraud was as bad or worse than most of the programs that we're talking about. So, right. well, that's, that's, that's it for time. Really good point to end on. Uh, Larry, maybe next time we'll do this out of the office. We'll do it in person. We'll grab some drinks there. Uh, James, really good point to end on. And on that note, we are out, everyone. Adios. Laters. See ya. All right. This is the other end. Thank you for making this far. You made it this far. Please subscribe to the podcast. I'd love to see you see more of me. On that note, though, uh, we got another episode to get ready for, and uh, see you next episode. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.